0: The Drive Home with Kenton Dick on Mix 96. I am joined by Cynthia Carr. And Cynthia, I know you're an epidemiologist, but remind me of your specific role.
1: Sure, and thank you for having me. Of course. Uh, I'm the owner, uh, the founder, and uh, principal consultant uh, of a company called Epi Research Incorporated uh, that I founded in 2000, Uh, and the bulk of our work Uh, involves applying, uh, epidemiological principles, so helping to look at trends of disease and health service use, uh, and needs, uh, and sort of trends by person, by place, by time, by differences in community. Um, so that's what we do is we work with communities and healthcare organizations uh, to look at the data to identify health needs, program services, and evaluate those services.
0: Okay, so epidemiology is, is kind of like the statistical data side of medicine.
1: It really is. Epidemiology is really more looking at the population health perspective, whether that's population as a community or a school or uh, you know the country. So it's not a one-to-one uh, clinical disease management, it's looking at a sort of a, a higher level perspective of what are the, the kind of circulating health issues or the up-and-coming health issues, uh, who do they tend to be impacting, and what do we understand about the research uh, for prevention, for treatment, uh, and for a risk for the worst-case outcomes. Uh, so again, we can circle back and look at how do we prevent uh, those uh, diseases or, or circumstances from occurring.
0: Now, I know you've been keeping an eye on COVID-19 and how things have changed. On, on a larger scale, uh, now that we're dealing with the Omicron variant, how does this differ from kind of previous variants we've dealt with?
1: Well, certainly, as we've heard more and more, it is highly, highly infectious uh, so that's sort of the downside of things uh, that, you know, the estimates now are one person could infect six, seven, eight, nine other people uh, fairly easily. Um, now, the good news, bad news side of that, though, is yes, it's highly infectious. Um, part of it is because of some of the mutations uh, of this variant, which are in favor of the virus. One is uh, that it's really good at latching on uh, to your cells and then getting into that cell and replicate. So it's kind of like if you think about um, the first uh, version or the Wuhan strain, it's kind of like if you think about giving somebody a high five. So one hand is the cell and the other hand is the virus. You give a high five, um, it's pretty easy to pull your hands apart when you're just doing a high five. Then moving to the delta, which was uh had a variant which uh a variation that uh allowed it to, to uh secure more tightly to the cell. Now do a handshake. Now pull try to pull those hands apart. It's harder to pull them apart. So that's sort of an example of that uh virus latching onto that cell to that ACE2 receptor, holding tight and getting in. Now uh, it's kind of changed even more. Now you're kind of interlocking your fingers. So you've gone from a high five to a handshake to interlocking your fingers. Try to pull your hands apart now. It's even harder. So the advantage is there for that virus. It's on the cell. Uh, it's got more time and more stickiness to get in. Um, so that's one of the advantages. The other is we, we talk a lot about um ability to evade uh, immunity. And partly what we're kind of Maybe too focused on is one area of the of our immune system, which is antibodies, because those are kind of more easily measurable. Um, but our immune system is our antibodies, our our B cells, our T cells. So so the B cells, the memory cells, the strategic kind of cells that are always kind of checking to see what the threats are. And then our T cells, those cells that are kind of like the 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 army on the ground that goes in and that searches out those invaders and destroys. So, you know, the antibodies are very much like a, a shape and they're trying to they're trying to prevent that um, virus from getting into your cell from locking onto the cell as i just talked about so if you think about originally if the virus was the shape of a baseball and the antibody is the shape of a baseball glove because that antibody very much wants to fit the shape as, as well as possible of that um the antigen to, to block it and stop it from getting to your cell so if it changes shape now to a football and your antibody is still you've got 10 of them and they're still baseball gloves, they can still catch a lot of those footballs, but it's harder and it'll depend on the angle that that football comes in at. So maybe you need to have a whole bunch more people with those baseball gloves to have a better chance of catching that football because it's changed shape. It can't entirely evade our antibodies, but that's why we talk about more is probably better at this point, better opportunity to block, um, so that, you know, once it gets into the cell, um, you know, it's not as hard on our body. But the good news is that our fighter cells, our ability to kind of search and destroy, um, are still holding really strong. And obviously, the younger you are, the healthier you are, the better able your body is to uh, react to the invader. And of course, vaccine uh, helps that exponentially.
0: Now, is this trend going to continue? How is this pandemic evolving will will this will this continue to to change and mutate in a way that becomes easier spread but also less severe?
1: Well typically that if we we think about evolution and what's in your best interest, that's what you want is you don't want to burn down your house but you want to take over the neighborhood. So, you know, a strain that is uh, even more transmissible, uh, but it doesn't kill the host, obviously, is what's going to help that strain continue. And just a, a reminder that COVID-19 is the seventh strain of the coronavirus family. Four of those uh, account for about one in four common colds already. So will this seventh one now, um, evolve enough, uh, that it has a lot more in common with those other four strains that cause common cold and can make you pretty miserable, but perhaps not have as significant an impact on severe health outcomes. So right now what we're seeing is, you know, a combination of the virus itself changing, but also, uh, for those of us who are vaccinated, we again have those fighter cells activated so that even if we get infected, our uh, immune system is much better to fight against that. And we're still seeing a, a, a huge difference in outcomes uh, related to people who are vaccinated compared to those that are not vaccinated
0: now, we have seen not only the virus change and seeing these different variants and stuff, but we've also seen a little bit of difference in how uh many jurisdictions are kind of managing the Omicron variant versus some of the previous ones. Mm-hmm. Can you give us any explanation as to why things are changing on that front?
1: You know, I think, you know, obviously it's been almost two years now since the first case was detected in Canada, uh, more than two years since the first case was detected in uh, Wuhan, China, We've learned as we've gone. We've we've learned more about how this virus works. What does it have in common with similar, uh, with other viruses, with other coronavirus strains? Uh, what is different about it? What are things that can protect us? Um, and what are sort of things that are impacting our society and our economy? And those are a lot of things to balance. So there's that continuing kind of. Um consideration of the economic impact, the social impact, and then what are we understanding about the risk and severity of this disease, uh particularly as i've already stated, as more and more people uh do become um you know fully vaccinated against this virus, so you know we we understand um that closing schools are you know what we would like to avoid um pretty much at a as much as we can I won't say all costs but we understand that it's the transmission in the community that really is driving the spread not for example transmission within schools so we need to again focus on how do we empower people in the community to understand what are symptoms of this virus what are risks reminding people that you know the catch-22 is you're actually very infectious in those two days before symptoms So it's really important to communicate uh to others, uh if uh, to warn somebody if, if you are our case and they've been in contact with you so that they can kind of start doing their um you know due diligence, keeping their circles small, those kinds of things to prevent spread. We've learned that some incentives work, um and some uh other measures uh just really kind of can turn uh community against you and create distrust. Uh we've learned that when you're giving conflicting um direction from public health and you know elected officials that really does a lot more harm than good so it's sort of continuing to understand what the best messages are where the best results are and the alignment in communication with the understanding we didn't know everything in the beginning and we don't know everything now we have to continue to learn as we go and communicate that information.
0: Wow, yeah, lots lots there. What can we expect in the next few months with COVID-19? Can we expect anything or are we still kind of observing and rolling with the punches?
1: Well, we're certainly trying to learn from other countries that were sort of ahead of us in this uh surge uh But, you know, we also have to remember that risk factors are not all the same between different countries. So there's always sort of this juggling of different indicators and, but hanging, being cautious not to hang our hat too heavily on just, you know, one or two. Certainly, uh, what we've seen, you know, it's interesting when you look at the data. December 7th, I think, was the date that Omicron was first identified in Manitoba. At that time, we had about 69,000 uh, cases in, in the province. Just in the last, uh, you know, just over four weeks, we've had an increase of more than 30,000 cases That's, um, you know, basically the amount of cases we had in our entire first year with this pandemic. So there's been a massive change in the transmission. The good news side has been that even though that probably underestimates the true rate of spread, our rates of people who are in the hospital that are known to be active cases have absolutely gone down. Um, So again, when we're looking at what's ahead, um when we're you know evolving with immunity whether it's through vaccination and obviously there will be some natural immunity from coming in contact with the virus uh, but we don't want to rely on that entirely um, you know what we could see is after the next week or two getting a little further past the christmas break we could see you know a pretty dramatic drop off in cases um, but we don't uh we don't know that for sure, certainly other countries have started to see that, uh but we're not at all seeing that in Canada yet.
0: so the message is still get vaccinated.
1: It is absolutely clear that although uh, Omicron is highly infectious and the difference in your risk become between becoming infected with Omicron and not, uh, between being vaccinated and not, um, may not seem that substantial, but a case is not a case. And what I mean with that is that the data clearly continue to illustrate that your experience, once you become infected with Omicron, is not at all, um, the same, uh, whether you're not, whether or not you're vaccinated, and we're talking about, you know, potential twenty, thirty increase in risk uh, in becoming hospitalized, ending up in the ICU, uh, and passing away. Uh, particularly if you have old, if you are older, or you're managing other chronic uh, disease conditions at the same time. So, absolutely for your uh, optimal. Uh, health and well-being, uh, you do want to get vaccinated so that for the most of us, you will, you know, potentially experience, um, you know, upper respiratory infections, you know, the kind of misery of a common cold, headache, sore throat, runny nose, tired, those kinds of things that you can, you know, you can get over uh, as opposed to being in that much higher risk group uh, where you might not recover or you might have a very difficult time recovering.
0: Yeah. One last thing before I let you go here, Cynthia, because I, I recently read an article that that quoted you, and I'd like your, your thought on this, too, because uh, the mention of Saskatchewan having fewer restrictions than us and a lot of people pointing to them saying that, you know, they've got fewer restrictions and fewer cases, and why aren't we doing that? What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, again, we're all at kind of different phases. You could have pointed at us at one point and said, you know manitoba house or or the province of Manitoba has the lowest uh, active case rate uh you know of the provinces right now. We all go through different um, phases and it's not all at the same time so certainly we're, we can't make a correlation at all between fewer restrictions and better outcomes and Again, all we have to do is look at their own data and we can see the exponential increase in cases that the province has experienced uh in the last four weeks. Uh, so they're certainly not holding steady they're certainly not declining Um, they're just not as high as some other areas in Canada Uh, but that doesn't mean that they're they're not on their way and in fact you know their own provincial health officer has implored people uh, to not gather and again that's that's an example of, of both oversight and foresight is our risk is not just okay what are the rates today and are we lower than somebody else Your risks are, what what do I understand about how this spread and how quickly those numbers are going to escalate? And, uh, you know, what's this going to do to our, our school system, our economy, and our healthcare system if we don't stop that spread?
0: Cynthia, thank you so much for giving us your time and enlightening us.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Thank you.